Welcome to Linux Link Radio by TimeSys, a podcast for embedded Linux developers. Hi, this is Gene Sally. I'm here with uh, Machi Halash. Hello. And today we're working on, uh, we're going to talk about real time. Uh, with our last uh, uh, podcast, we talked a little bit about, uh, not a little bit, a lot of bit, uh, about the basics of real time, you know, the terminology and, and the taxonomy and some of the terms you hear. And today we're going to delve deeper into uh, what's happening in 2.6. Yeah, well, the topic of real time is a fairly complex one. So uh, we've uh, split the uh, series of podcasts into, well, a couple of them. Um, and um, last time we, we spent a lot of time talking about various um, issues. And, um, well, while we were talking about different terms and we were introducing different definitions, mm-hmm. we talked about some of the common problems that... Um, you can expect from um, a an operating system like Linux, mm-hmm. and we also have approached some of the beliefs as to what real time system really is. Okay. Um, so we talked in 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 detail about uh, latencies. Uh, we've defined uh, what the kernel latency is, mm-hmm. but I don't think that we have covered um, extensively um, what are the sources, possible sources of um, those latencies. Um, we we definitely talked about interrupts disabled, right? Because that's um, that's an obvious one, um, and that's where you would expect to have um, increased latencies. Because um, if a, a scheduler cannot um, schedule a high priority task to run, well, the high priority task will definitely experience um, delays. Um, did we talk about spin locks? You know what? We didn't. But, you, you know, I, just to, for folks that are just joining in, just a, uh, like a two-second recap there. So yep. we talked about real-time systems. So real-time means predictable, not fast. It has nothing to do with three, throughput. Um, we also talked about the concept of latency, which is the difference between when something should run and when it actually does run. Mm-hmm. Right? And then we also mentioned things like hard and soft real-time. Yep. And, and so... Uh, you're always better at defining the hard and soft real time than, than I am, but right, uh, right. So, like hard real time is must happen or there's terrible consequences, right? And then soft real time is well, you can miss a deadline here and there, right? The, right? That, that's the best hard. performance you can you can actually get without uh, worst case guarantees. Correct. Um, right. And then we talked about um, three different areas of latency, mm-hmm. but it was um, the um, Interrupt latency, uh, scheduler latency, and the overall Linux kernel latency. But um, I think so. Should we now jump into yeah, uh, just, sources? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I just didn't. I, I didn't. I figured we'll, we'll spend a whole what, thirty seconds yeah. and make sure. Okay, uh, I agree. Just happen to start listening. So spin locks. Um, why are they sources of uh, late of additional latencies? I have no idea. I'm sure you, you, you do know what it's all about, but basically spin locks. <laughs> um, Tell me. Sensei. Sensei, yeah. right. Uh, spin locks are, um, well, a very interesting <coughs> synchronization mechanisms where um, as you spin on a, on a specific um, uh, mutual exclusion area, huh? um, all the other tasks in a in a system 
um, are also blocked, even those that um, might not necessarily require that um, that CPU, or I'm sorry, not CPU, the access to that mutual exclusion. So um, at the end, you have uh, threads that are being blocked because of um, other threads uh, spinning on, on mutual exclusion. Yeah. So whenever you hear the word, I, whenever you hear the word spin lock, right? The, my first thing is, well, what's spinning? Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so really, it's it's a loop that's happening, right? It's a polling loop, and it that's is. the spin, so to speak. And as that polling loop runs, and it's in essence hogging, I should say this hogging. Well, yeah, it is hogging, right? It's active, so it does it, consume the time. Yeah, it, it does consume. It does consume time, and it, it it sits and doesn't relinquish that thread. And so the scheduler doesn't have a chance to get in there and and switch things around. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always had the thing. I was saying, so why even bother using such a thing as a spin lock? So why is even such a thing useful? Was one of my big questions when I first came into the. I think it's it's actually very useful when you work with an SMP systems where you have multiple uh, processors and you want to, um, um, well, you have a way of other tasks that do not require that uh, mutual exclusion mm-hmm. run on a different processor. Yeah. You want to kind of like control um, what's running where. Well, it, it was a concept introduced early on in the Linux kernel, mm-hmm. and nowadays there are other ways of doing um um, or ensuring the um, uh, correct execution on multiple CPUs um, with various synchronization objects. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, because so I, I know for a great matter, right, spin locks have been largely replaced by mutexes. And, and mutexes are much more gentle with respect to both what they require of the processor, right, and their ability to be scheduled. Right. And as a matter of fact, when you look at the... We talk about priority inheritance, but you know, uh, 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 something like a mutex is something that is uh, uh, schedulable and subject to the rules of priority inheritance, while spin lock is not, due to right. the nature of its implementation. Exactly. And so when you when I, I know when times was well, way back when in the dark ages in two thousand four, right? <laughs> so whenever we did a uh, real time distribution, one of the first things we did is we went through the kernel and replaced all the spin locks mm-hmm. with mutexes. And therefore, can get some scheduling out of them. And yeah. when you look at what they did in two six kernel in terms of real time, pretty much the same uh, approach was taken. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that what we've done uh, to the two four Linux kernel to um, make it more real time mm-hmm. is absolutely um, well. The areas that we've enhanced mm-hmm. got um, implemented, also changed in, in the two six Linux kernel. So let, let's talk about it in, in more detail in in a few minutes. But I wanted to continue on sources of latencies. Still. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, if you, if you're okay with that, that's okay. <laughs> so next thing that I, I next area that is uh, that can cause some delays is um, um, shared interrupt lines. Uh, if you have multiple um, uh, interrupts hooked onto the same uh, interrupt line, mm-hmm. they usually execute in cascades. So by the time um, the the system gets to the interrupt service routine that is really important to you, there are some other interrupt service routines that get executed. Mm-hmm. So um, if those other earlier interrupt service routines consume a lot of time, your high priority task that relies on a specific ISR would be delayed by that um, delta. That's correct. And and so that's definitely one of the um, um, 
sources of latencies. Um, well, w what else? Now, when you talk about interrupt cascading, too, I just want to make sure it's, if that's new terminology. So that's an interrupt service routine. That when so you interrupt you, you you map a line into one routine, but you can map multiple interrupt handlers onto the same line, right? And so each interrupt handler has to do its thing and then then pass, right? And so when you talk about cascading, that's whenever you have several ISRs, interrupt service routines, mapped to the same line. So each one runs and says, "No, I don't need to do anything." And when it exits, and that's when the operating system comes by and says, "Oh, who's next in the chain? Yes. And who's next? And who's next?" And sometimes you can't avoid cascading because you got only a limited number of uh -huh. uh, hardware interrupts that you can use in a system. But um, it all comes down to uh, really figuring out which interrupt um, lines are important to you and uh, or to the high priority execution, mm -hmm. and and then manage the interrupt service routines accordingly. Um, I think that. Another um, problematic area for real-time is when uh, engineers design device drivers and, and there are certain rules as you go through this exercise that are important from a standpoint of uh, um, real-time. Uh, do not disable interrupt <laughs> when well, you're in a device driver, right? Well, why so, not? Well, <laughs> we've covered that just uh, five minutes ago, right? Um, the, well, that, I forgot already. Uh, well, so um, if you disable interrupts, you um, delay execution of user land high priority tasks. Even though your device driver might require certain CPU time, well, just schedule that CPU time on a um, in, in, well by just following the rules. Um, build um, the interrupt service routines correctly. Um, at the uh, execution um, blocks um, in such a way that um, they get to run when they need to. But that really gets into the preemptible nature of the 2.6 kernel, right? I mean, whenever you disable all the interrupts, in essence, you're preventing the kernel from preempting itself when it needs to, right? Isn't that, what, isn't that really what you're doing, right? Yeah. You're sort of completely defeating the scheduling system. Yeah. And, and, you know, it is, it is probably the easier way to get your code to work. No doubt about it, right? It's definitely a lot easier. But but right off the bat, you've introduced you know a huge latency because you're not allowing the system to do what it really should be doing. Uh, and in that sort of case, you need to look at whatever it is you're doing and build the right critical sections mm -hmm. using mutexes or whatever else to guard whatever sort of shared data that you have, instead of you know the you know the the, the sledgehammer method of um, of just stopping everything. I mean it. The thing is, it's definitely easier to do it that way, right? Yeah. No doubt about it, it's easier. But then again, you're going to make, you're going to have a tremendous, uh, you're going to suffer a tremendous performance penalty, well, or not a performance penalty, rather scheduling penalties. Well, which will result in a performance penalty. Yes. Um, so the next, the next thing that uh, engineers, I think, sometimes think of is I can map um, interrupts, right? So I'm not going to disable them, but I'm going to add a couple other routines, and I'm going to do that at my device driver level. This is perfectly fine, again, but it goes back to the last point that we were making, that uh, when you do that, be careful uh, which interrupt line you, you are masking. 
and make sure that you're not adding too much of code in that uh, in your own uh, interrupt service routine because mm -hmm. as important as that code might be to your device driver it will definitely impact um, other tasks in the system um, which again can cause some uh, hiccups once you measure your performance and let's say your device driver um, well receives a lot of generate or generates a lot of interrupts suddenly suddenly the performance of the system might might just go down yes and, and it's an important thing too I mean you know we have customers that we get in touch with and they say hey we're having a certain performance problem and the you know, and they've constructed systems, and they've used n many number of drivers that are available from open source or mm. from. And if you just grep around for for through the source code for you know disable interrupts or you know, disable an RQ, you'll find whatever you'll 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 find the guilty driver, right? And <sighs> usually customers are suffering from latency in that respect, are using a driver written yeah. without you know latency in mind, right? And I guess it's one of the beauties of having. Uh, using Linux is that you do have availability and you can look at all that source and it's it's there. Um, right. But you know, as you're constructing your real time system, that's something you really have to be aware of. As you're using other people's code, you have to make sure and do an audit of it so that it's not doing any of these sort of dangerous activities. Well, what I would also see uh, this uh, danger of uh, running into those problems is when you uh, forward port a device driver from, um, let's say, two four Linux kernel to two six. Oh yeah. And um, in it, 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 it 2.4, even the best device drivers just, just didn't care about those different areas um, that are important to real-time. But uh, it's, it's more likely to um, find, let's say, spin locks around a, a 2.4 Linux kernel uh, device driver than in 2.6. Well, yes. In 2.6, you, you, you won't see this kind of code anymore. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, you just have to keep your your eyes open, um, and that does get people that 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 are putting together systems and they've they've used you know, you know bits and pieces of open source and they may switch their network driver or switch some other driver and then all mm. of a sudden their system is is not behaving. Hmm. And we've seen that many many times. Yeah, you just you know grep dash r and you look yeah. for whatever they're using and what do you know, right? Uh, it usually turns up in their code some of the some of the guilty things, or especially when you do forward porting, because a lot of the macros are there for the compatibility reasons for the exactly. drivers, so you don't yeah. have to uh, you have to do a lot of coding, but those macros do the wrong thing, right? Right. So and they are very tough to find sometimes. Oh yeah, especially during runtime, not not when you compile, but at runtime those macros are sometimes difficult to spot. Yeah. So let's talk about um, what are the improvements in the 2.6 Linux kernel. Let, let's list them out first. Sure. And then let's let's cover them one by one. And um, let, let's talk about the impact on um, end user. End user that does want real time and end user that does not want real time. Because there's there's a trade off as as we discussed last time, right? When you when you do want to use the real time features of a Linux kernel, you are trading off a um, um, uh, the the throughput. That's correct. Yeah. So, uh, scheduler, right? That's one thing that we started covering last time. But scheduler is definitely um, one of the first areas that got um, modified in two six Linux kernel. And as a matter of fact, um, the improved implementation of scheduler um, 
came out uh, with one of the first releases of Two Six Linux kernel. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, improved POSIX um, support, right? So there are different areas um, under that tag. Um, there are signals, there are POSIX threads. Um, the um, preemption um, the kernel is more preemptive into Six Linux kernel, and we can talk in more details about um, how that has been achieved. Mm-hmm. Um, spin locks have, have been uh, changed by mutexes with priority inheritance. Yep. Um, soft and hard um, interrupt service routines. Um, so there's a way of um, executing interrupts as uh, kernel threads. We'll talk a, talk a about it a bit more. High-resolution timer support, which is the latest um, addition to a real-time um, patch set inside the kernel mainline. Um, is there any... Oh, wow. There, there are several mechanisms that allow you to track... Um, various latencies inside the Linux kernel by default. So you can just enable them and collect the data. Um, did I miss anything, Gene? No, I was thinking... No, 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 no. Because there's a couple of things that fall under uh, the fully preemptive. Right. Yeah, we'll, we'll just expand that as we go. Okay. If you don't mind. So uh, you started last week talking about O1 scheduler. If you don't mind... Um, Start, oh, yeah, yeah, starting yeah, yeah, that yeah, again. Sure, sure. so um, O1 scheduler means uh, it runs, you know, the, the big O or lambda notation. That's mm. a, I don't know if people are semi or familiar with that, but that has to do with tracking or expressing the runtime of an algorithm with respect to its input. Okay, And so when you say something is O1, you're saying that it is constant time. And so constant time means that any operation will take the same amount of time, mm-hmm. which is important for real time because that means you can schedule it in your system and it's a predictable amount of time. So um, the, the scheduler in 2.6 is designed such that if, as you add or remove tasks, that takes the same amount of time no matter how many tasks are running. Right. And then whenever it decides to switch to a task, that takes the same amount of time no matter how many tasks it's managing. Mm. And in that way, if you think about the latencies we were talking about, that's something we talk about scheduler latency. Um, and, of course, you can't have zero scheduler latency, right? But you can have substantially reduced scheduler latency. And it is a predictable amount of latency. Um, so all those things put together make that part of the kernel much more predictable with respect to performance. I see. So uh, the way the scheduler schedules the tasks is, uh, I mean, to achieve that constant um, interval or constant time, is it it has two priority queues or arrays, right? One which is active and the other one one that is expired. And so it grabs the tasks, the highest priority task from the active um, array, Mm -hmm. executes it for the time slice that it has. Correct. And then it puts it into expired array. Correct. So it goes through the area of active um, tasks first. Once that area is empty, it swaps active with expired. Yep. And then it starts doing that. Runs it all over again. Job again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all that is done in, um, well, constant interval time. So uh, regardless of how many um, tasks are really scheduled or ready to run in a queue. Mm-hmm. 
um, that there's potential of um, hogging the um, kernel. I'm going to use the you know, terminology yeah. here, but if you have a lot, a lot of uh, threats, but that's that's. Um, I would say that that that'll be a bad system design. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are corner cases where you can have, uh, let's say, starvation, just because there are too many things. I mean, too many things. I mean, a, a very large number of too many, right? Running, um, uh, such such that no one really gets a decent amount of time to execute. Uh, but I do that. I mean, that's such a such an oddball mm-hmm. corner. I mean, you're talking yeah. tens of thousands of threads. And, right, uh, and usually that is. Again, poor, poorly designed system because if you have that many threads, you better have more um, CPUs, more processing power, and yeah. divide that between uh, uh, processors. I mean, I've heard recently about the new computer designed by a, a company that is going to run 2,000 um, processors in one box yeah. under control of a single Linux kernel. Wow, you could heat your house with that. <laughs> Which is amazing. I mean, given that uh, the latest Linux kernels can support, I believe, the SMP part of it can support up to 1,000 processors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of that gets on. I mean, when you're talking about the, the, the ready-to-run queue and how it sifts through, you know, it'll sift through that queue and bring up the highest priority thing to the top and then execute that yeah. and then throw it onto the, you know, I've already been run queue. Uh, but, you know, I... It is, this is an interesting thing. I mean, systems that have a lot of threads in them. A lot of people that do, that are inexperienced real-time engineers, right, mm. will do things like create a bunch of threads and have a bunch of different threads running that they believe they can schedule. And the the, the obvious thing is that, you know, a thread, there's, only st- there's still only one pr- line of execution in the processor, right? There's only one processor doing things. Right. And then whenever you switch among a different thread, you're paying a penalty to, to do the yeah. switch, but you're, you know, the concurrency is, is in essence, an illusion, right? It's, yeah. it's a complete illusion in between when this thread is running and the other thread is running. It's swapping back before them quickly. Right. And it's interesting that you know, when you have a multiprocessor system, you could realistically have concurrency. Yes. But, 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 but on, a, on a single processor machine, concurrency is, in fact, it's, it's an illusion. Yes. Uh, it's, you know, afforded to you by the scheduler. Yes. And I, I'm sorry to get off on a, a blind trail, but it's... You know, when you're doing something like real time, what you probably really want to do is to reduce the number of threads you have running in your system, um, so that you can have a better handle on the schedulability uh, and a better understanding of the of, of, of how your system behaves. Because once well, it starts running, there's really uh, there's really no way to do you know debugging and that sort of safety and scheduling safety among as many threads. Uh, yes. Among a large number of threads, especially well, when you get into like, I'm sorry to interrupt you, like yeah, no, a, a ridiculous number, like a hundred or right. a thousand or something like that. Well, I, I think that you what you want to minimize is the number of high priority threads oh, in the system, yeah. right? Because if the real time system is designed correctly, um, you will um, well the the low priority threads will never get to run, right? But if you have higher demand on CPU from a real time thread standpoint. Well, that that would be a problem, and, and there are different uh, theories and, and mathematical um, um, boundaries that we can probably talk about here a bit. That that design or that can help design the real time system yeah. um, as far as uh, CPU utilization is concerned. Um, regarding um, well, when you look at um, 
processing power, number of threats, priorities, and all that. One of the um, approaches is rate monotonic analysis, right, which um, which we have implemented in the past, but um, that's just one. Yeah, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. That I, was a segue, was, a, a, a segue. nice one, but it, it just it, it just it torques me every time I have to. Every time I confront that problem, it sort of twerks me. Yeah. And so, so let's talk about um, uh, full uh, preemption in, inside Linux kernel right now because yeah. this is one of the most important aspects of. It's, it's a semi segue. I know. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, it is yeah. connected. But, you yeah. know, a lot of the you know a lot of the full preemption came out of doing SMP uh, implementation on Linux because in order to, you know in order to do SMP, you must be completely preemptible because you really do have concurrent activity. And um, and so the kernel really has things running on several different processors, and it doesn't. It needs to be able to stop nearly in any place and do a context switch. Right, and um, so the way that was solved was um, additional reschedule points have been added to mm-hmm. uh, Linux kernel. Um, the scheduler is called more frequently. Yes. So that um, the real time task, well, the scheduler when it arrives at that point can figure out whether there is a higher priority task ready to run in a queue mm-hmm. and then switch the context. Uh, what's interesting is that there are different classes of preemption defined in, inside a 2.6 Linux kernel. That is, there is a concept of um, voluntary preemption that has been introduced. Yeah. You want to talk about it? No. <laughs> okay. Well, so I will. <laughs> I will start at least. Um, so voluntary preemption is 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 the um, a mechanism inside the Linux kernel that allows the kernel to see if, if um, um, it should basically uh, do the context swap uh, inside um, um, well mutual exclusion, for example, as the task is executing in mutual exclusion. And we talked a bit about unbounded priority inversion last time, mm-hmm. and there is a higher priority task. Uh, ready to run that would like to acquire that shared resource. There's a a mechanism right now that allows that currently executing threat to see, okay, there's this higher priority task that wants to run this in this mutual exclusion. I'm going to save my context while no, do the no, voluntary and preemption. This, this, this is the thing I always got confused about. Uh, and that's okay. Right? I always get confused about stuff. But when I hear about voluntary pre- preemption and priority inheritance, I think to myself, well, what's the difference? I've never, uh, there's some subtle distinction there that for some reason just is not making it through. I just haven't, I'm not bending my brain the right way to understand that difference. Well, unbounded priority inversion, mm-hmm. right, is, is basically something that happens um, because um, if a lower priority task holding, um, uh, or blocking a high priority task from executing, right? And that's we covered that last time, I guess, Got to it. some extent. Mm-hmm. The voluntary preemption allows the kernel to um, improve um, the the preemptiveness, mm-hmm. hence uh, the the latency, mm-hmm. by um, switching the context execution context from uh, a thread that's executing um, while holding certain resources that are needed by higher priority tasks. Okay. So, in, in priority inheritance approach, what you do is 
you get the priority of the highest priority task uh -huh. to execute at its priority. But okay. what that means is that the higher priority task will not get run during that time. Okay. And if you, if the if the mutual exclusion section is long enough, well, that's the delay that your high priority task will uh, incur. Uh, with voluntary preemption, it's it's different because um, you don't you do not finish running in that mutual exclusion. Does that make sense? Sort of. And uh, again, this is my take on it. So, <laughs> sort of. So, what you're saying is voluntary preemption is, is an, some other thread can come in there and get running, not necessarily the one higher up in the priority chain. No, no, higher up in the priority chain, but um, higher up in the priority chain and requiring that same that same shared resource. Oh, uh, okay. Maybe that's a little bit clearer. I have to think about it for a little bit. Okay. So it's, we, it's, we can come back to that topic next it, week. <laughs> it's, always, it's, it's always been one of those things where, and, and people explain it to me, and, like you, and then and I ask again, and then, then they get sort of angry, and then like the third or fourth time they get really frustrated and tell me to, you know, they have a meeting to go to or coffee. Or, I don't know, they sort of bolt. Okay, I have a meeting that I yeah. have to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we'll, we'll, we'll cover it again and again if, if uh, you think that we should... I mean, if the explanation... We'll listen to this podcast at the end. Maybe there's we'll like a Dr. Seuss's voluntary preemption book or something I can get my get my head around. I, I don't know. I just... Yeah, well, we'll continue looking for a better explanation in that case. Next time you explain that concept, uh, and okay. I'm going to be a listener. Okay, I'll <laughs> learn it well enough. I'll be able to explain it. But it just... I don't know. It just hasn't, hasn't settled, settled through my head yet. So the other thing we wanted to talk about was, was, was our queue handling. Yes. Um... And I guess the nifty thing about the kernel is that it has some tasklets or different ways for you to manage uh, uh, interrupts that come in, so that you can do a better job of scheduling them. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you do the, when you do interrupt handling, right? You have this, this notion of a, what they call a top half and a bottom half interrupt handle, right? And so you have the, the, the piece where it's raised, right? And in your routine is called, and the technique now is to say, okay, I have my interrupt. I've scraped my data that came off the line that I'm interested in. And now I want to schedule a task to, to do something with it. Um, and when you do that, you have something that the kernel can then <coughs> the kernel can then deal with scheduling-wise in order to do the rest of the processing behind your interrupt handling. And that is um, the, the other interesting thing is it's important to do as much, or pardon me, as little as possible in the top path because during that time, in essence, you are in a situation where interrupts are disabled. Um, and you don't want to be in that in that place for very long, other because you're going to be introducing, going back to our original discussion, uh, the IRQ latency. Right? Mm -hmm. It's an easy way to get yourself IRQ latency because during that little minuscule slice of time that you've getting your data off the line, you must by default disable all the interrupts coming off the system because otherwise it would be anarchy, right? So you can't have that. And so what they've introduced now is handling, in essence, on. Uh, in a much more scheduled in a much more scheduled manner, and that way you can reduce that sort of latency. In essence, what you're really doing is you're pushing IRQ latency onto the scheduler, right? Um, and then in hope in hopes you have a much better scheduling system, which of course you do. Mm -hmm. Two six. Well, but uh, what's the, the, another value that you get out of it is that if you have a high priority task in a system and that does not that does not 
really require or depend on um, certain interrupts. Um, let's say you have uh, an interrupt that arrives at one of the hardware lines fairly frequently. Yes. And uh, your real-time application does not rely on it, but um, instead actually relies on maybe two other interrupts that are arriving, maybe networking. Um, moving the interrupt, interrupt service routines into um, a user space, well, in, into a, not user space, I'm sorry, no, into, okay. into the uh, uh, kernel threads, mm -hmm. allows you to um, compete for CPU uh, with those threats because what you can do is you can raise the priority of your real-time task above the priority of interrupts that do not interest you. Yeah, you know, I you're right. I completely forgot to mention that. A and that way you can control, you know, um, what kind of latency your application was going to experience. So mm -hmm. um, in, in most systems, that's not really, the, not really a problem because, again, this is a, a trade-off. Uh, as you, as you, as you move the interrupt service routines into uh, kernel threads, you are um, really extending the period of time that it takes to execute them, right? Because they have to be scheduled, they have to um, uh, compete for CPU, and by the time they get to the end of the ISR, you know, it, it's. It's, you, you might be in a completely different place with your application. Yeah. Um, so that trade-off is really important to understand, I think, because um, a lot in a lot of cases, uh, people want both, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. They, they want, um, for example, all the packets on a line, on an Ethernet line, to mm -hmm. arrive at as fast as possible, and then um, also execute the uh, real-time application as uh, fast as possible in a reliable way. Uh, and those two things will contradict. But again, it's a matter of um, how tight the loop in your the the, the, the shortest loop in your high-priority task is mm -hmm. uh, compared to the frequency at which the interrupt arrives on a on the Ethernet line. Yeah, and that's one of those you know throughput versus predictability issues we run across and that's yeah. there's a trade-off right and and you're you can't have on a single processor system that only really has one thread of execution there's, there's really one thing executing at a time you you can't have that right. um, you can approximate it um, uh, but you really you're still going to make that big trade-off between either servicing what's coming in off that lot off that hardware line or making sense out of it as it comes through your application mm -hmm. um, so well, we're getting uh, we're again being flagged, yeah, right? We're getting. So. You've talked too long. I don't know. They do the thing with their <laughs> their hand that looks like a hand thing, and then whatever hand across the. I know. We really covered. I, we still have more things. Is one of the things I, I did want to dig in and talk about was the high resolution timers. Yes. And then we also mentioned the the latency tracking uh, that's inside of the the kernel as well, so you can get some sort of picture as to what's going on. And I also wanted to talk about kernel configuration options that are available. Um, and uh, well, in the latest to six Linux kernels, and which of the uh, features that we just described are turned on by default? Oh, yeah, you know, so, yeah, yeah, we have to cover that. Right. So that means that we'll have a third episode on um, the real time. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, well, I hope that this is all interesting. I 
on one hand, I know that this is this is all a bit um, well at a very low level that we talk about. Right? We we go ver- fairly deep into some of the topics and can be sometimes confusing. Um, even to to us here, uh, some no, of the concepts me, are confusing to me as well. I, I think you're the smart one. You, you, <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, uh, if you have um, any questions or if uh, you would like to provide us with your feedback, comments, please do so. Um, you can send us email at podcast at timesys.com or visit um, our website at timesys.com. So I think we're under timesys.com slash podcast is, is the URL to take us to the, to, to the page. And there's, I don't know, I think this would be, I think this is, there's at least over 10 episodes if you want to listen to them and, and one of the, the guys here that, that takes care of our site even built in a little uh, mp3 a little player yep. so you know if you don't have uh, if you want to pass the page along to someone that may not have uh, iTunes or uh, or other sort of player and they want to listen in it makes it makes it really easy yeah, uh, it's it's pretty. Remarkable. I don't know if you've seen the page, but he did, he did a great job on it. So I it. agree, it's very nice, and um, you you don't have to, as you said, uh, look for other players. You can just listen to our podcast yeah, right on our page. But cool. again, we would like to hear from you. Um, any comments on what we talk about? Does it does it relate to your project to uh, the problems that you are finding um, as you as you go through the through your projects and if we haven't covered some of the areas that you're interested in, please do let us know. Yeah, because a lot of the material we do, like I know some of the things we covered, even when this had to do with feedback that we, we yeah. got from the last podcast. So we want to make sure that uh, uh, we're covering what you're interested in. So let's uh, drop us a line at uh, podcast.timesys.com and uh, let us know if you want us to cover something particular or if we yet again have uh, glossed over the voluntary versus uh, priority inheritance uh, concepts. Maybe someone can even explain it to me. (laughs) So thanks a lot. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Timesys. Check out our new site to get free code, discuss, and learn about embedded Linux development. Go to timesys.com today.